As we continue through this Easter season, we're going to continue to track the story in the Acts of the Apostles. Last week, we looked at one of the earlier stories of Acts where people were beginning to join together and pool their resources together. And as people were seeking to follow Jesus, they joined in the group. Now that became a big group. This week, we jump a few chapters and we look at the impact that the growing Jesus follower movement is really having both with the followers and also around, particularly in Jerusalem. Now, Acts tells the story of those first generation of Jesus's disciples. And those followers, most of them, began to share their life together in this big group, a big group of people. So at the early part of this, things were kind of nice. They were taking care of each other and they were looking after each other and they were living together. But as that group grew, because it was growing quickly, there became some systematic problems. They weren't able to care for everyone who couldn't quite care for themselves. And one of the groups that was identified as kind of missing out on some of that good early care were widows in the group. And so as the 12 apostles were trying to take the lead in the prayers and those sacramental responsibilities, it was very clear that they couldn't quite deal with the crowd based on their structure. And so they asked that the Hellenistic Jews, those who spoke Greek first, but were still Jewish, identify seven people who would then take the lead in caring for all of the groups, particularly those who were most vulnerable in that early Christian disciple group. Those first seven people became deacons. And those deacons had the responsibility of taking care of the people in the world, particularly the most vulnerable. Today, we heard a story of one of those seven deacons, and his name is Stephen. Now, Stephen became more than a caregiver. Stephen began to speak and teach, perform wondrous signs. And Stephen began to argue and lecture and insult and rebuke the leaders of the Jewish community outside of the discipleship group. The Jewish leaders did not take kindly to this, and so they arrested Stephen and they brought him in for trial. And in that trial period, Stephen spoke about Jesus, spoke about Jesus being the fulfillment of the promised Messiah, spoke to the leaders about what they were doing wrong. And although his words were quite good, they were also quite sharp. And in that trial, he was condemned to be stoned. And today we hear the story of Stephen being rushed out and stoned just outside the walls of the city. Now this story is often remembered as the story of the first martyr. Stephen is often described as the first Christian martyr. The word martyr can carry a lot of weight and it can also carry a lot of baggage. So it's important to know that the word martyr in English is a direct transliteration of a Greek word that means witness. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually talk about bearing witness to Jesus. Yes, martyrdom has a particular definition, a specific category of witness, but broadly speaking, bearing witness to Jesus is actually what Stephen was doing. And bearing witness to Jesus is what all of us are called into doing as followers of Jesus. Now, bearing witness out in the world, I hope, is far less daunting a task than being a martyr. Although I do know that 
I'm speaking to a group of Episcopalians and talking about Jesus is the last thing we really actually want to do out in the world. And so I challenge us to perhaps open ourselves up and to receive the invitation to not only make Jesus an important part of our lives right here, our own discipleship right here, but to take that idea out in the world, to actually bear witness to Jesus out in the world because people really want to hear about Jesus. Bearing witness to Jesus can absolutely look like speaking in public, teaching groups, debating in public, much like what I do or what the clergy does. But bearing witness for most people doesn't look that public. Bearing witness for most people is about committing to a life of love, a life lived with love out loud, generosity and hopefulness and caring for the people around you, not just proselytizing and not being pushy. We don't have to be pushy. Those acts of love are things we can actually participate in and they can be super simple. As I was thinking about these acts of love, a story that I think I've told before came to mind and that is of Mother Teresa. Years and years before Mother Teresa died, she would take novices around and show them the kind of work that she would do to care for the people who were in pain and sick and near death. Most of those people, if not all, were not Christian. And as one novice followed Mother Teresa around as she cared for these people who were nearing the end of their lives, she said to Teresa one night, you know, I'm following you around and we're taking care of all of these people, and yet I never hear you speak about Jesus. Aren't we supposed to tell them about Jesus? Aren't we supposed to invite them to be followers of Jesus, to tell them the gospel and bring them into the fold? And Teresa looked at the novice and said, these people are near death. When they see the face of Christ after they die, they will recognize his face because of the love we have shown. That kind of story speaks to the kind of acts of love, that witness bearing out in the world that I think we're all called to. We have opportunities to love simply right here in this community. And just a few weeks ago, I heard a wonderful story of one of our newer members that I'd love to share with you. And I asked her permission to share the story with you and I'm going to call her Helen. Helen is a parishioner who came to church a few weeks ago when I first preached about mental health, the commitment to mental health that we were sharing here in some of the North Dallas churches. And she wrote to me this story. When I walked into St. Michael about a year ago, I was in a very dark place in my life. At the time, I had achieved two years of sobriety from alcohol abuse. I was finding myself moving into relapse mode with some of my behaviors and I could see it coming. I'd attended a recovery meeting in Dallas and felt such a need to return to church and just happened to pick St. Michael. When I arrived, I was seen, I was welcomed, and I felt the love. The church has been such a blessing in my life in so many ways. I don't even know all the wonderful side effects yet, but it has impacted and transformed all my relationships. And for someone who has suffered with mental health issues and addiction for most of my life, I will celebrate three years of recovery in July. And I am certain St. Michael is one of the reasons I did not relapse last year. I'm so very grateful for this church, for the friendly, loving people who have been a huge blessing to me. That's just being nice on a Sunday. That's just being available 
to people here. That's willing ourselves to open up, to be courageously loving in our world to people who are trying to find God here, to root themselves in God's reality here. And believe me, I know, opening ourselves up can be scary. Opening ourselves up to people can feel risky. And yet God gives us strength. God gives us the strength of Christ in us to face the dangers of the world. And we were reminded just yesterday how dangerous this world can be and not somewhere else, but right here. And now we can take that kind of experience and allow it to scare us, to allow it to make us retreat into whatever security we think we have, or we can open ourselves up to the courage of Christ to go out into the world and love, knowing that even death itself has been defeated through Christ's love. That, that is our faithfulness. That is what we are called into. Those are the kinds of acts of love we have the opportunity to share with one another. Now, like anything else, acting in love, being courageous in love, being open to loving those around us takes some practice. And as we know, practice makes better. And so for us, practicing love is important. Last week, I gave you a little challenge about 14 days of acts of love. I challenge you every day to think of loving someone, surprising someone with love in small ways and then writing it down. Anybody doing it? How many of you are on day 14? Yes, I see. Good. If you haven't and you thought about it and you left church with all good intention and you're like, oh, yes, it's a week later and I haven't done it, then it's not too late. You can start anytime you want to create those habits, to change your behaviors. I had someone stop me just a few days ago to say he really appreciated the challenge to do something tangible to actually do something every day that reminded him of what it is that we love so much, not only about this church, but about why we choose to follow Christ. So if you've not been practicing, here's your invitation again. Write these things down. Do something simple. Acts of love do not have to transform the world and fix the big problems because there are people that we run across every day people who are bearing the weight of the world, people who are scared of drifting back into behaviors that they know are unhealthy, people who are scared that they might make bad choices, people who are scared of the world. What we can do is we can remind them that the world is not all there is, that we know the hope and the promise of the transformation of Christ. We can do that. You can do that. And all it takes is loving one person and loving one person intentionally. That, that is how we change the world. That is how we face the fear. That will get you a call <laughs> to tell you just how impactful you have been. See, someone's watching live right now and they're excited about it. So take this invitation. Take the invitation to share big love. Not tomorrow, today. You will change a life and you will do so out of the faithfulness of Christ. Amen.